This is Strange Assembly episode 256, Ranking the Vampire the Masquerade Clans. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today is Craig Kellner. Greetings. And you're listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there in the Apple Podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, etc., etc. You can find us on social media. We're Strange Assembly pretty much anywhere you look. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Now, today, we're going to be talking about Vampire the Masquerade, probably obvious from the, the title. And basically, I, I had a lot of fun with episode 255, which was Jay and I talking about Dungeons and Dragons classes. And so, we're going to, Craig and I are going to perform a, a similar exercise today. Sue, are you, are you ready to earn the hatred of, of fanboys and girls for not having appropriate respect for their favorite clan, Craig? Oh, absolutely. I was born ready. Actually, I was born Breach, but that's besides the point. <laughs> uh, so, I'll give the same proviso that I, I gave at the beginning of the, the D&D one. I think it's even even more the case here. One, these are entirely subjective things. Uh, you know, I, I joke about whether or not we're the absolute authoritative something. Clearly, it's not. Clearly, these are personal preferences. Furthermore, we reserve the right to have completely different personal preferences next week. Not only are these our personal opinions, but these might be how we think they work as characters, how they fit into the setting, what mechanical aspects are, you know, whatever we feel like, because that's the benefit of being the, the people on the microphone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, personally, like, I feel like a lot of these can go into any order. In fact, when I did my initial ranking, it was how much I think it would be, how much fun I think I'd have playing a character of a particular clan that I haven't tried yet. But unlike D&D, where a lot of your stuff is mechanical, when you're making an individual character in Vampire, besides the clan weakness, which a lot of times you could take as a flaw in older editions to get a weakness from another clan, there's not a whole lot uh, separating one character from the next. It's just certain clans make it easier to do certain things mechanically. So I kind of went on, on the fact is like, this is who the clan is like socially and their history and how much fun I thought I'd have making a character with it. <laughs> All right. So let's continue to follow the pattern that we set last episode by starting off with a unanimous selection that begins with the letter R. And talk about the Ravnos. Or the dozen of them that are left. <laughs> something like that. Something like that. Oh, speaking of dozen of them that are left. So, V20 versus V5. Again, each of us, we're considering it however we feel like considering it. We, we don't even have full information on V5 for some of the clans. There have been significant changes for some. There have not been much in the way of changes for others. I think that because so much of it is setting dependent, it, it changes some with additions, at least for me, but it doesn't change as much as it would with something like Dungeons and Dragons, where a particular character class might be terrible one edition and great the next, because the mechanics matter more and and that can change a lot. But yes, the the Ravnos all all dozen of them, but it kind of doesn't matter to me how many there are. One of the things that some people have an issue with for some 
clans, and it's it's not nothing, is the like how rare are they and how special and unique is your character if you're this clan or you're this bloodline. And I'm not super worried about that. I, I mean, otherwise you're basically just saying for most games, because they're Camarilla, like you have seven choices and that's it, and the other ones are just would be completely cut off anyway. Even when the Ravnos were at full population, that was a relatively unusual character for most games. But it was pretty easy to put the Ravnos down here. Their initial conception is kind of like a Roma stereotype or something. Yeah. <laughs> and they've they've like they've done with a lot of the the clans that started out pretty narrow. They've bolted more conceptual space onto them now. They got much more historically Indian, but none of that has really seemed to resonate or create a better identity for them also and i swear we're gonna i'm gonna stop doing shoutbacks to the the D episode but as i had my discussion with jay and that about what kind of wizards we like i don't like illusionists and that's the <laughs> mechanical specialty of ravnos that they do different from other clans yeah i so, actually I may actually made played a uh, Ravnos once for a very short game, and honestly, the only reason why I chose Ravnos is that I had this one crazy idea in my head about doing like a vampire version of Chris Angel, but you know, like a bigger jerk. And it was honestly between Ravnos and Tremere, and Tremere would never let that fly in the setting, so it was down to Ravnos if I wanted to do actual illusions. Ravnos is just a clan that is, it's hard to come up with a lot of of pitches for. I'm interested to see what they do with them whenever they get around to having them in, in V5, because they definitely have, I think, implicitly recognized in a variety of places. I mean, before V5, but, you know, pushing it further in V5, the the narrowness of some of the concepts and, you know, like trying to, I think, trying to expand out the followers of set to the ministry and, you know, just ditching the Asimite title entirely. And so I, I look forward to see what they do with the Ravnos. Hopefully they can find a way to make them as a whole less offensive. At least they've mostly moved past that aspect of it, but they still ended up with just like a different flavor of Exotica. Right. When they <laughs> they did that. I don't know. So, Ravnos. Next up, we're going to go with, and I'm still going to call them this, Followers of Set. I know that they've been rebranded as the Ministry now. Really conceptually, where I put them is really based on the Followers of Set. And the Followers of Set are a narrow concept. And I think the, I think the intent of the Ministry is to expand that. But... I think that they're a more interesting narrow concept. The flavoring of like ancient Egypt does not have the same kind of issues as, you know, picking an actual living group of people who are the, who, who have a history of uh, being discriminated against. <laughs> it's like a white wolf would say, "Hey, you want some mummies in your game?" Try these guys. <laughs> well, yes. I, I do believe they released an entire book about that. <laughs> but to me, beyond the you know ancient Egyptian flavoring of it, the, the thing with the followers of Set is right is the whole temptation thing, and mm-hmm. 
that naturally gets them into a lot of things that a lot of vampires get into anyway. So I, I think I like the followers of Set better than, than you do, Craig. And the thing that sort of holds them back for me is that that whole temptation aspect works so much better for a non-player character than a player character. I agree there. I think followers of Set make great storyteller characters. You know, you can play up or play down the exotica of the ancient Egypt thing, but power for a price or, you know, engaging in vices at a cost, that's very thematic for vampire. But that is, I think, better for the storyteller to be doing to the players than for the players to be doing to NPCs, at least as a sustained primary aspect of the the character. I mean, I think vampire characters will tempt NPCs somewhat routinely anyway. That's just not their purpose. It's just you're tempting them to try to get them to do something you want, right? Plus, if you have a storyteller and player character who's a follower of set and your PCs are getting too close to killing them for some reason, they could just spit venom in their face and turn into a snake and disappear. There are some nasty things tucked away in some of the old school disciplines. I, they can't do that anymore, though. I don't believe. Just because the disciplines have across the have almost almost universally been depowered in V5, and I think almost always to the benefit of the game. There's less crazy stuff mechanically going on now. Speaking of crazy stuff, next we've got the Samish. This is kind of the reverse of the, the followers of Set in that you have them higher up than, than I do, so why don't you talk about the upsides of the Zemitsi? Upsides of the Zemitsi, they're a founding clan of the Sabbat, and from a player character standpoint, if you, it was really easy, especially in some of the older editions, to just make a neonate who could just like snatch people's faces off at a really um, a low power level. They have a lot of really interesting um, things they could do. I'm um, playing up with the body horror aspects of the clan, which I thought was always a fairly interesting uh, thing about them. I think I'd start with there with the the Zimitsi. In that this this is one of the ones where I actually, it's not entirely mechanical, but partially it's a mechanical thing. Is that the thing that makes the Zemitsi distinctive really is vicissitude. Exactly. And I know that there are old clan Zemitsi where you can take the bloodline essentially that doesn't have it. But if you strip away the Zemitsi, what you are kind of left with is a Lord of the Night variant that is local to Transylvania, basically. That's not a, a an expansive concept. And I, I suspect when we get to things like Lissamba and Ventra, we'll, we'll talk about that more. But right, there's a reason why the Zemitsi ended up with the Ventra and the Lissambra in the Dark Ages, like multi-clan splat book of the Lords of the Night. But vicissitude is, I think, a really problematic discipline for me for me i know that there are people who love it i mean there were one there were goofy mechanical things like oh why don't i just make appearance one and use that as a dump stat and then i can use vicissitude to give myself appearance five thus breaking the system but i don't consider it an upside that you don't need a lot of vicissitude to just ruin someone in a way that has always seemed much nastier than just you know, punching someone's face in with potence or, or something like that. And uh, the sort of interesting 
things you can do with vicissitude. Some of them are really nasty, which restricts it to the sort of like truly inhuman monster category, which I think many players like more than I do. But then you also get into the just the sort of wild applications where you have like entire caverns full of fleshcrafted people and all sorts of weird constructs and war ghouls and stuff that would just obliterate the masquerade and is really hard to use in what I would consider a quote-unquote normal chronicle. It just feels like everything that's unique about the, the Zimitsi is hard to manage. So that's why I am not as hot on them. But, you know, Dracula, you get Dracula. There's that. Yeah, got Dracula. And in the new book, you got uh, Harker. <laughs> and then Transylvania Chronicles is a really good chronicle if you want to go all out in the centuries-spanning, uber-powerful undead monsters and really delve into vicissitude and Capula and and that whole aspect of the, the clan. I mean, that you're very heavily focusing that chronicle on the nature of the Tsumitsi and the nature of the Tremere and, and all that. And within that context, it works really well. They're just harder for me to fit into a routine sort of game. Yeah, that's. I think one of the strengths of this um, Samish is putting them in like a Dark Ages chronicle when the general mass, the general public, still believe that there are monsters out there and even the church is confirming it for them. So it's like the masquerade is somewhat less of an issue for them. <laughs> You've got that Zimitsi stereotype of the lord off in the, the castle, the Voivode. Right. And it that fits better in Dark Ages, because you can do it in modern vampire, and that is a thing in modern vampire, but again, that's that's not really a character concept you can play in a chronicle, because if your character concept is, I'm the lord of some remote, rural, Transylvanian, decaying castle thing... What does that character do in most chronicles? Like he's 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 not anywhere near the rest of the characters. And how is that making him different than like a modern day Tremere in a, uh, or a Ventru in a skyscraper? Well, they because it's open. I, I mean, that's really it, right? It's more open and more horrific and even more directly brutal. I guess it, it's it's extending it it further. But so we've got a couple more in the problem children category. So our next entry in this will be the Malkavians and prefacing this by noting that in the chronicle that Craig and I are currently playing I am indeed playing a Malkavian so we're seeing how that goes but the Malkavians are storyteller characters to me more so than the followers of Set and I've upgraded them because of V5 if this was a let's make the top clans in V20 I would probably put the Malkavians as the most problematic to use maybe still better than the Ravnos, but there's a lot of flavorful things about them, but it's so hard to play a character who's really insane slash deranged slash severely mentally ill in a way that isn't jokey or over the top or non-existent. And I think this is a place where the mechanics matter because V5 much more narrowly cabins how that works and what it is. You no longer have to have this always-on issue. 
you no longer have to tie it to a real world mental illness with all the depiction problems that that creates but it's still rough i think yeah i i totally agree with you that the uh, system does matter for uh the malkavians current chronicle um pending we'll, we'll see how uh strange uh, beth can get um as things happen but uh I think I really do feel that reining it in and having it only having a lot of the stuff happen only as compulsions or when you botch a role truly makes the clan playable and keeps away from, like you said earlier, either over the top fish milk or super offensive to people with mental health disorders. I guess we should log roll here, right? If every Wednesday on strangeassembly.com we're now posting. Session reports, I guess, for lack of a better word, for Providence by Night. So, as we're recording this, it is the 23rd, so Session 3 was just posted today, so there's not a terrible ton to catch up on yet, but you can see what's going on in that chronicle. And and that is, of course, the first appearance by a Camarilla clan. I will... There's a reason why most of the Camarilla clan end up higher, but the, the Malkavians are just hard to to work with. Next up, we'll go with the Banu Hakim. And we will go with the new name for the Banu Hakim because it that's what they always called themselves anyway. And because really Asamites is tied up with the the original still there, but not as as universal conception of them as assassins. And this is a clan that they've done a lot to expand the utility of that started way back in revised when they you know they started doing vizier cast and sorcerer cast and and moving them around but with v5 they're really getting pulled in to the mainstream of the camarilla they have a clan weakness that's a, a real thing but is not the like oh i'm compelled to diablerize you all the time kind of stuff that is really hard to to work around on occasion. I like a lot of the clans better now. That they're playable. Well, yes. Well, I mean that I, I, that makes it. I, I think I was about to overstate the significance of the mechanics, but I I think that for the most part it has worked out better what they've done with the disciplines, and that has I actually think helped for me the independent clans, and then we'll see what it does with the Zemitsi too. Right, but I think those had more like weird, potentially overpowered stuff with them, or maybe it just felt more problematic because it was weird and like it was. I mean, early on, celerity was the most broken thing in the universe, but it didn't feel weird because you know half the clans had it. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot to go with the Banu Hakim. I don't. I wish that we had more space in the Camarilla book to see that developed about the concepting of it. But they really have pushed with the Banu Hakim to like to, to not just be assassins anymore and to, and I think successfully divorce it from the whole like Banu Hakim equals Muslim vampire, mm-hmm. which, you know, is partially where this clan originally came out of. So I think the the Banu Hakim are quite workable now. I don't see any reason why if you were running a 
a non-Camarilla game. I mean, right there, now in the Camarilla in V5, but just like every other clan, they've got people who aren't. Well, actually, well, I guess the Banu Hakim as presented are in the Camarilla. Of course, a large chunk of the clan is off at Alamut getting ready to murder everyone under Urshulgi. But but I think they've much improved them. What do you think about the Banu Hakim now? Originally, when I heard new people wanting to play them, they'd always like, I want to play a vampire assassin like Blade. I guess I'm going to play Banu Hakim, and I really wish like um, a lot of people would go a lot more deeper into their lore and figure out exactly that, like you said, they are more than just Muslim vampire assassins. But I will give them, mechanically, they do that very well. Um, the quietest thing recently um, was rolled into, what was it, um, is, that, is that part of Blood Sorcery now? Part of it went into obfuscate, like the being quiet. There's the right now. There's the obfuscate right. power where it's be quiet instead of be invisible, and part of it went into blood sorcery because they just all have blood sorcery now, instead of having distinctive subgroups within the one clan. It was kind of a tip off. The quietest was gone even before you saw the Camarilla, because you could see things that used to be quietest powers showing up as blood sorcery powers and. And obfuscate powers. Yeah, but um, taking this like pretty much um, clan-specific discipline and kind of spreading it out, I think um, played better into the, if I'm going to be an assassin hiding in the shadows, I don't want my powers just giving me away all the time. So I think it was an improvement spreading it out a bit. <laughs> I swear I'm not an Asimite, but you silenced the room. Other people can do that. Right, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break into a bank um, with some dynamite, and no, and everyone sees the explosion, but no one heard it. Uh, that's a masquerade violation right there. <laughs> okay, so I think we're we're now going to move in, into mostly into the more enthusiastic part of this. I, I, I'm you're gonna get one more bit of grumpy, Chris. But we're, we're going to do the Giovanni, and I know, Craig, you adore the Giovanni, so why don't you tell everyone why you adore the Giovanni? One of the reasons why I like the Giovanni is they sometimes, especially with the new American Giovanni, they play into the we're vampire mobsters um, kind of uh, stereotype they got. And I don't know, I, I just think that's um, a fun co- um, concept to, to play at the base layer, but underneath that, they have the whole, we're going to collect um, a bunch of uh, souls um, for, you know, some secret plot that only we know about, and we're going to get super rich doing it. That, to me, um, it's a lot of things that, if I was a vampire, I'd totally be into. (laughs) The the, the Giovanni certainly took up the Cappadocians' metaplot notions of crazy world-shaking supernatural stuff that they'll never actually pull off. That <laughs> That is sure, right? Because Capitosius wanted to diablerize God. Yeah, as you do. And Augustus Giovanni wants to, what, merge the Shadowlands with Earth, right? Something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not big on the, the mob thing, although that, yeah, that is a, a traditionally a, a big element of the American Giovanni. That, I mean, to some extent, that's, I think, because the Giovanni, not as badly as something like the Ravnos, but they have a they have a specifically, like, Italian feel. And I guess they were like, oh, what's a stereotypically Italian thing to do in the United States? 
create the mafia. I <laughs> oh, I was going to say talk to the dead, but... <laughs> uh, well, yeah. So you've got the mob thing in the United States, you've got the necromancy thing, and if you really want to to lean into it, there's a lot of um, literal and metaphorical perversity going on in the Giovanni, partially because not as much the American mobster side of it, but the sort of core Giovanni are all supposed to be like literally the same mortal family uh, as well. Again, it's it's like that's harder to use as a player character, but also the the signature necromancy discipline slash thaumaturgy variant, whatever. Um, I don't know if it's just going to be. It'll be interesting to see if it's just blood sorcery or, or what with uh, with V five. That's where I think they're going to go with it at least. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Let me, but I'll get that. But the it adds a significant extra element for the game and the storyteller to deal with. Like, I, a lot of people really love cross-line chronicles. Like, we're going to have the chronicle where, you know, the vampires run into werewolves and then they meet a changeling and then the mages do this with the... But I think a lot of time that does not super work out. But the Giovanni kind of requires that, at least to some extent. Not like you have to do a full-on Wraith vampire crossover, but having a Giovanni character who actually does necromancy creates this whole, literally whole other world that overlays <laughs> on your game that has to be dealt with and, and managed. And it's not that it, it can't be done, but it is a thing to be managed. Now, Again, and I maybe we'll have to revisit this topic after V5 has gotten around to updating all of the clans, but just like I wouldn't be surprised if V5 does something better with the Zumitsi, like they've done something better with the Banu Hakim, I would not be surprised if they do something better with the Giovanni, because from what I can tell, we've already essentially been told the Giovanni are kind of going to be part of something bigger now we were kind of puzzled by this when we were reading the, I think it was the Camarilla book, right? Mm -hmm. There's the reference to, to Hecate and, and like, we're like, is that like a different name for the Giovanni now? Did they, they rename them? But when we get this blood cults source book that Onyx path is going to be, at first it has to be partially written and then kickstarted and then finished. And you know, that's, you know, on a more extended time frame. but right. That book covers, the Bahari, and it covers the Church of Cain, and then it covers the, the Hecate, and it's going to have the Giovanni in it. But it sounded like the Hecate was a group of vampires who were involved in this necromancy kind of stuff that was not just the Giovanni. Although maybe I misunderstood. So that would be the one thing that would make me wonder if, if necromancy would not just get wrapped into blood sorcery, if it became something that was not only Giovanni, but was more broadly spread out. I do like their the new approach to spreading out the disciplines because it makes you, as a player, kind of choose your clan based on more than what sort of vampire superpowers you're going to get. You can go for a particular concept without having to necessarily have some exotic possibly really powerful, possibly excessively specialized thing to deal with. And I guess it also just keeps down the the rules thing. But having having the, the discipline spread out also works well with 
the way that there's more than one power at each dot now so you yeah. can have a, a variety of expressions of how presence works or or whatever you could be an assassin without being a Benu Akim. you could be sort of like a medium without having to be a john um giovanni now yeah well, well assuming we'll assuming <laughs> we shall find out now we'll get into the heart of the camarilla and i guess it might be worth pausing and, and noting in advance because like if you're listening to this episode, you know the vampire clans, and you can count on your fingers and figure out that there's almost entirely Camarilla clans left. And that's not a coincidence. So I think it's worth mentioning that, right, that Camarilla clans were the first ones that they came out with. They are playing with generally much broader trope spaces and much broader entrenched notions of what vampires are or could be in modern and historical mythology of them and so for me at least that also means that they generally have a lot more space to play with as far as as what you can do with them as characters not that you can't make any character that's anything right like any random character any random person could be embraced for whatever reason by the ministry or by the Zimitsi or by the Giovanni. And, you know, the fact that you are a Giovanni does not mean that you have to be an Italian mobster necromancer. And the fact that you're a Ravnos does not mean that you have to be some illusionist gypsy thief. But when you're playing against that, it's, it's not just you can't create an interesting character out of those, but to some extent, you're either playing against type or playing in a very narrow type there. And and you generally get broader when you go to the Camarilla clans. So with that proviso, we'll kick this section off with the Bruja. An Anarch clan. What? Whatever. <laughs> like there's a difference. <laughs> well, now... <laughs> yeah, I mean... Whatever. But still, they, they were a Camarilla clan. They're, I think, going to still play in that. If I was running a Camarilla game and somebody like wanted to play a Bruja who was in the Camarilla, I'd be like, of course. And I think if I was a player in a game that was in Modern Vampire with the hard break and I wanted to play a Bruja who was in the Camarilla and the story I was like, no, you can't do that. They're all Anarchs now. I would be like, what? No? Huh? I can't follow the rules. You know, storyteller says goes, but that would be odd to me. But I like the Bruja concept. I even like the the sort of built-in contrast that they have between the modern raging Bruja and the sort of more ancient rational one. The origins of this clan, I think, can be pinned squarely on the Lost Boys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just about to bring that up. If you want to play a gang of biker vampires wearing leathers, uh, there you go. Here's the Bruja for you. They're a more, I don't know if primal is the right sort of word, but they're they're more overtly violent, and their clan flaw is great. Mm. A central part of vampire is supposed to be the beast. Loss of control, yeah. Right, yeah, and, and loss of control, and the Bruja just lean into that. And you don't have to play a biker either, right? Like, that's obviously a, a stereotypical thing to do, but it's not 
like the Bruhar just like, oh, they're the they're the biker gang clan, and if you're anything else, you're somehow weird. There's there's plenty of Bruha, and there always have been, who are not, you know, wearing leathers and, and riding a motorcycle. They may be involved in some completely different kind of street gang, for example. <laughs> <laughs> the, the moped street gang. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but they, they have a nice generic set of disciplines that lets you play around with there's very common vampire things, right? They're, out of all of them, really, they are, right, they're fast and they're strong and, you know, they can be sexy. And is there a more iconic set of vampire attributes across all of these different tropes than those? Well, we'll get to Toreador and Venture later, but... <laughs> well, yes, but I mean, I... Right, the, the Toreador and the Venture are later, and yet... I think if you're just talking about that mechanical spread, that is really, I mean, that and, I mean, okay, and Fortitude, I guess, is the other one. So they don't have any, so I guess those four, I think, like, right, it's the, it's the three physicals in presence that are, are I, I think, really at the core of that. So I think there's so much room to play with in the Bruja, and their clan flaw really just goes well with vampire so they are they're number two on my list yeah i think they're a great um, clan if uh you're just uh even if you're experienced or if you're a beginner you can throw it at um, someone who's never played the um, game before and they'll get it you could throw it at someone who's played it for 25 years and they'll get it it's you really get your own chance to put a your own spin on them too with like what sort of um ideology that your particular Bruja cares about. And I think that's like, you have this core clan concept and then you just kind of um, sink in your niche. All right, so that was the Bruja. And then we, we've got the Gangrel. And I should note that, not that the uh, quote-unquote ranking here is relevant, but actually the Bruja and the Gangrel and the, and the Nosferatu, we all, it's all tied, really. So we're just, we're, we're doing them in order, but they're all, it's all, all even more of a wash than everything else in this. We're going to do the Gangrel now, and then the Nosferatu in next. And and this is a little odd for me in that it's, it's more so with the Nosferatu, but a little bit with the Gangrel, is that the Gangrel are a clan that I think is great, and I put up relatively high, even though that's partially based on not me, even though this is supposed to be a subjective list. You know, it's the, would I want to play... Clan X. I think Gangrel are sort of objectively better than my subjective interest in them, and so I'm I'm giving them a bump on that because my <laughs> and I know this is this is very mechanical, and let me acknowledge it. My favorite thing about the Gangrel is Protean. <laughs> it's yeah, <laughs> Gangrel is another one of those uh, clans who's basically sprouted from Dracula and his like animal powers that he seemed to have, which I, I think it's great that they somehow managed to build an entire clan or kind of like around that bestial primal nature, but s- still divorce it from Dracula himself in the lore. Yeah, yeah, I mean the 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 transformation aspects of Protean are 
as you know, extremely strongly tied to Dracula. But the concept of the clan ends up having really nothing to do with Dracula. Dracula is not some vampire who's going to go out and live in the woods. <laughs> I know right, Dracula ended up as a, as a Demetzi, but he's such a significant figure in the Western conception of vampires that you can't just have like the Dracula clan because that would eat up you know, at least half of the trope space. I mean, if we, as we go down our list, any of these clans could also be the Dracula clan. But, uh... <laughs> uh, but there, there's also a relative lot to play with in the gangrel because vampires are super social, and the Camarilla especially is is super social in a more human sort of way. I mean, I think the Sabat is. When you're not playing shovelheads, the Sabbat is actually quite social too, but in a much more sinister, uh, inhuman sort of way, as one might expect for the Sabbat. And the Gangrel can play into that loner concept. They give you somebody who can more readily go outside the city if you want to play against that. Like, not everyone has to be urban. They work well in packs, or coteries, if you will. Yes, and I actually... I. I guess it's a good thing that I keep saying something like this. I like the Gangrel better in V5. I think I think they're better in V5 than they were in that... I mean, one, the coolest thing about them was Protean, but that's partially because Protean just had some really powerful stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... It's really easy to, um, in like V5, um, V20 and earlier, to just kind of roll up a ne- neonate that can like take a charge from any member of the... Um, Primogen Council and come off pretty well with it. The claws were like the, the just auto ag damage back in yeah. the system were were crazy, and Earth Meld is always good. So th- that's game wise, that's an improvement, even if it makes them less a- appealing to apparently the the. There is indeed still part of me that <laughs> you know can get a kick out of. Ooh, that's so powerful, but the hardest thing about the gangrel for me prior to v5 was the permanent changes i mean you 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 can frenzy a lot depending on what kind of game you're playing and that can accumulate those animalistic features relatively quickly which starts to make the gangrel kind of weird and i don't when you saw portrayals of the gangrel in the books you usually didn't really see them that animalistic yeah there you you very rarely saw like a frog on wolverine rabbit coyote monster (laughs) well with bug eyes (laughs) i think it's usually a, a relatively consistent set of features but that's changed now because there's you you've got that animalistic frenzy flaw now but it isn't permanent anymore so you no longer have, like, why is this gangrel who's been around for centuries, yeah, not just completely an animal yeah. at, at this point, surely? And they really leaned into with um, some of these uh, flaws and compulsions with the gangrel to make it more behavioral-based, like animalistic behavior, or you're seeking to hunt or kill or be off on a high perch somewhere rather than just, you know, sprout weird limbs and hair. So to... To optimize the gangrel now, they have to, even though acknowledging that overall I'm saying they shouldn't do this sort of thing, they need to uh, to reintroduce city gangrel so I can have a V5 gangrel who doesn't have animalism. Because 
I don't like animalism. It's, eh. It can be very powerful, but not not my thing. <laughs> Which I guess, speaking of powerful and appropriate and yet not really my thing, the Nosferatu. So this is again one of your they are the embodiment of one of your central vampire tropes, right? And another Dracula clan. Literally this time. Based off the movie Nosferatu, which was pretty much um, cut wholesale from Dracula plot-wise. Well, yes, except for the whole horrible disfigurement thing, which is like kind of the defining thing of the Nosferatu is not something from Dracula, yeah. right? And everyone in V5 has the rugged bad looks um, features now. Yeah, one of the thematic changes, uh, and thematic and mechanical changes, because right, that it's easy to say that oh, mechanics don't matter. It's all about theme. It's all about storytelling or something. But like the whole reason we're playing a game with a rule book is because the mechanics actually do matter. The the mechanics help you embody what it is that you're you're trying to do and. This generally gets hand-waved, but yes, if you were, if the Nosferatu were not such a vampire trope and had not been around from the beginning of the game, I'm guessing that I would cut them less slack on this. But really, it's extremely difficult for the Nosferatu to operate in mortal society. I mean, yeah, I mean they've they've got ways of staying hidden, but it's it's very difficult for them to do anything normal like mask of a thousand faces is not the same thing as having your own personal consistent normal human appearance that lets you talk to people in person they also always had a mechanical weirdness and that their clan flaw is to have no rating in something that arguably should never have been and no longer is an attribute anyway they were a clan that in the flavor of the world like it was supposed to it's supposed to matter that they have appearance zero like and that's probably realistically like you know when someone is like was if someone was truly monstrously hideous we all like to maybe we all like to think that we're better than that and think that oh, that wouldn't matter to me but they're supposed to be deformed beyond normal human range but i don't think that that really comes up very much at tables in in most games like the character who's a Nosferatu even under you know the old rules where they were super ultra hideous they just went along where all the other clans went and okay maybe you play up the oh the Toreador don't like Nosferatu because they're ugly thing but other than that they don't get judged for that the appearance zero doesn't I mean partially because appearance was like a a stat that didn't matter in a lot of ways anyway but it, they just they sort of like they leaned into the the issue with that appearance stat, and despite all that, despite that, even before the sort of semi fixing in V five, they still did so many really cool things that they they kind of overcame that. And again, right? We I don't because there's a lot of bloodlines who basically have the exact same clan weakness as as the Nosferatu. And I, I'm always like, oh, we don't need those. We don't. We know we don't need Samadhi. You know we don't need Harbingers of Skulls. Or I'm like, come on. Like, how do these people fit in? The Nosferatu get get a little hand wave because of their their longevity. But even that's 
gone in v5 because unless you choose to take the flaw they're just okay they're really unattractive but like human unattractive yeah i think one of the reasons why nasferatu was um, higher up on my list was probably because they actually in a lot of cities at least have the sort of support structure because that only comes from people like hey we recognize we're you're hitty we're hitty let's be hideous together because we're the only ones that understand us. So, like, they have their intelligence networks, they have their secret underground uh, warrens. They do have a lot of ground to run to when things go bad. So that's sort of why they got a little bit of bump in my list. They added an, an extra element, and they it's just the sort of thing that has to be there as a concept in the game. If it's a this broadly conceived game about vampires. We're talking about Vampire the Masquerade. We're not talking... This isn't Requiem. But there's a a reason why Requiem went down to five clans instead of 13. And there's a reason why the Nosferatu were still one of those clans. So, having finished up with our three-way tie, let's go to, I think... This is the last one that we have where there's, I, I want to say, a significant difference of opinion, but I, I mean, that's that's really overstating it. But there's, you know, a, a discrepancy, and that's, we, we have a little tie here, and we'll do the Lasombra first. And you, Craig, have the Lasombra rated as your number two. So why are the Lasombra so awesome? Well, the Lasombras are so awesome because, well, first off, they're another one of those Lords of the Night that we talked about earlier. When I think of vampire, I think of someone who is, you know, has a superhuman ability to just kind of like manipulate um, people and others around them to kind of just fall in line. And that's something that I think the Lasombra um, embody just as well um, as the Ventru. In this case, um, they're like one of those, like, I, I don't want to use the term evil because evil is pretty subjective, but they're, they're very maniacal in how they can control things. They're even controlling shadows. Um, it's not enough that um, the vampire is going to come up and strangle you. It's just going to stand there and shadows are going to strangle you while it watches you. That's something truly terrifying, and I think it's cool as all hell, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my lower placement of the Lasombra is flat-out Camarilla prejudice, really. And first-mover prejudice as well, I guess. Like I talked about earlier, I, I think that there is a reason why the Camarilla clans are generally better, and you're you're not as much into this as I am, but like for the first six on my list are six of the seven original Camarilla clans, like everybody but the Malkadians. You're not quite as as bad with that as you have the Lissambra higher than I do, you have the Giovanni higher than I do. But the thing with the Lissambra is, yes, like there is a very direct comparison to the Ventru. And so from my who showed up first and which one's the Camarilla clan, I guess, concept, it's like the sort of tie there goes to the Ventru. And so it's hard for me to get out of the feeling of Lissambra as like Ventru with a twist. To go back to the Requiem thing, there's a reason why there aren't 
when they collapse the clans down, distinct Ventru <laughs> and Lissandra clans when they they do Requiem, and they I mean they called them Ventru there still because that's just the more well known one. The Lissandra, I I like their clan weakness better actually. That's a more you know traditionally vampire-y thing, not having a reflection, than the the feeding restriction of the the Ventru, and I think the Lissandra work out great. I mean, like basically, if the Ventru weren't here, the Lissandra would be higher on my list. And I think the Lissandra are definitely a clan. I know, okay, with Chicago by Night and V5, the Lissandra sort of are joining the Camarilla, maybe, or applying to, so this may be a moot point, but Lissandra and Tribu go to town. There is no reason other than, like, oh my gosh, they're Lissandra, that a Lissandra can't be in the Camarilla. There's nothing inherent about their concept that requires them to push the freakiness. They do have obtenebration. I actually kind of think that obtenebration is the weakest aspect of the Lissandra because it's pushing into some sort of like extra weird aspect of it uh, instead of some sort of more quote-unquote normal thing. Although if they didn't have obtenebration, they'd really just be Ventru. Uh, <laughs> Like I said, I mean, maybe maybe that means I should be saying, oh, Lissandra and Ventru are tied, but because the Ventru were there first <laughs> and are in the sort of like core sect of the setting, the Lissandra end up kind of down further, looking looking up jealously at the Ventru. I kind of did have um, like Ventru Lissandra tied, and I don't think it's like a huge flaw that there are two clans that are both pretty much the top of their respective sect. I mean, now with like the V5 and possibly Lissandra being in the Camarilla, it, it does make sense. In a world where you don't actually have to be able to objectively justify any of your rankings, I, you know, it, it's still, it makes sense and it is justifiable to say, I think the Lissandra and the Ventru really aren't that different. I think that the Lord of the Night thing is an important concept to have in the game, and so I am going to rank both of them high, and that's what you did. Yeah, and and in a world where you got basically two Ventru clans, but one of them ha- can make shadow monsters, I'm going to pick that clan. <laughs> so we'll, we'll actually get to the Ventru in a moment, but our, our other tied with the Lissandra is the Tremere, and as I was sitting down to to write this, the I'm actually kind of, I know this is an odd thing to say about your own opinions, I'm kind of surprised that I ended up personally putting the Tremere as high as I did, and I don't know how much of that's V5. I think they're definitely better in, in V5. Oh, oh totally. Uh, at least from a like individual player standpoint, like in earlier editions, being a slave to your clan's will was kind of like a downer, but now with the whole they can't blood bond others. They can't blood bond their uh, lower members of the pyramid. It kind of throws things into disarray. While it might weaken them as a clan overall, as an individual player, it makes them much more playable and have the freedom without having that blood bond looming over you from the start. It then gives you the opportunity to have that blood bond thrust upon you later on, <laughs> like everyone else. Yeah. I've always liked the concept of the Tremere. I think the concept of the Tremere has always been great. I, I love 
the meta plot of the Tremere, and not just the Tremere, but Tremere himself and all that stuff with Salute, I know. Not like it's it's the sort of thing that actually needs to, you know, be showing up in your non-Transylvania Chronicles chronicle, but like I, I just love that meta plot aspect of them. But yeah, the drawbacks of the Tremere before V5 were that their presentation in the setting was so rigid that it's not quite the same thing, but they kind of run into some of the issues of some of the narrower clans where like you had to be a loyal member of the clan. Not the not because of the blood bond thing, because really starting one step blood bonded to the group, I I I mean that's it's not like I mean fully blood bound is one thing, but like being forced to at least somewhat respect the hierarchy isn't the end of the world, but just socially, if you were a Tremere, there, I mean, there ostensibly weren't any Tremere who weren't in the Camarilla. And if you were a Tremere in the Camarilla, but you were not an obedient member of the Chantry playing the setting, quote-unquote, realistically, you were screwed. You were going to have your own clan actively hostile to you, nobody who wanted to help you, because theoretically, no one else trusts the Tremere for some odd reason. And then on top of that, Thaumaturgy was so complicated. It's still more complicated than a normal discipline in V5, because you've got the rituals, but all the different paths. I have my shelf. I've got like one column in an Ikea 5x5 cube that's like Vampire the Masquerade and Vampire the Requiem stuff. And because I'm tall and don't like to bend down to scramble for books, I have the my favorite books up on the top shelf where they're easily visible to me and easily reachable. And there's Blood Magic Secrets of Thaumaturgy and then like the Thaumaturgy Companion or something. Like there's two entire Thaumaturgy books and they're at the bottom of the shelf because mechanics matter, but to me, Vampire should not be a game where like I have a an entire printed book worth of spells or something, basically. <laughs> so I think that the, the Tremere have gotten significantly improved in the variety of characters you can play and in the way that their mechanics work within the overall game. And so now they have this melding of the cool concept and the meta plot, if you want to get into that, without, you know, some of this other baggage that made them more of a pain. So go Tremere. <laughs> now, now now, I'm like, why did I only put them fifth? Maybe I should have put them higher. Cried. That's why I'm allowed to change my opinions next week. Ask me next week. Yeah, so I guess you don't want every Tremere to have a different set of thaumaturgy, Chris? You think they should all have blood magic and not, like, weather control or bureaucracy powers? Um, yeah, that sounds reasonable. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that over time it will get more like that again. Yeah. Because, you know, the mechanics don't generally get taken out. And they can always just add more rituals. Yeah. I guess, like, I'm not a huge fan of, like, collect one Tremere for every power set out there. Because if you're going to have a special power set, it's got to be special and therefore rare, and you might have like a few instances of it showing up in a chronicle, but 
if you dilute the special with a bunch of different flavors of special, it's not special anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's like when you mix all the sodas at, um, at the the drink dispenser when you're a kid and just drink like a bit of all the sodas, it tastes really nasty. It's <laughs> it's a lot of carbonated sugar. Exactly. And this is where sort of the, the personal stuff could get in. I mean, I know that I've heard players who think that the Tremere got beaten up too much that their powers aren't good enough anymore in V5, and I'm sure that there are Tremere fans out there who are, no, I think that the piles of paths with tons and tons of options for my Tremere character was great, and it's awful that I don't have that anymore, and you're a giant hypocrite, Chris, because, you know, you were disappointed that they didn't add more dots to powers, you know, to other disciplines for the... (laughs) But... There, there can be a happy medium, right? And uh, there's just just the difference between having one or two or three options and having 20. And having each of those options be its own set of things, which is which is where thaumaturgy ended up. I'll, I'll stick with my, my regular uh, diet blood-flavored soda for now with the Tremere. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sadly, i uh given up on soda entirely. So does that mean I'm not allowed to play a Tremere? I don't know. No, you can have, like, this tea blood stuff. (laughs) All right. We've got two left, and one of them, obviously, is the Ventru. And we covered a lot of that sort of ground with the Lissambra, but, right, Lord of the Night, Mm -hmm. that's a thing. Check. Yeah, you've got the... Leadership. Yeah, you're running things. You're You're that vampire who's like, I've had centuries to accumulate wealth and power. Of course I'm running things from behind the scenes, you stupid mortals. Or rather, in front sometimes, that they have a public face to, you know, be their mouthpiece. It it, it, it gets hard to stay in the public for too long. You've really got to to go for that. The Ventru, in particular, I mean, more so than La Sombra, lean into the social aspects of that because they have both presence and dominate. They're going in for the both, oh, I'm just a generally charismatic, sexy vampire. Although you don't really think of it in terms of sexy vampire as much with the Ventru. I mean, it's the same power as that the Toreador have. Hey, money is sexy. That's a different dot on your sheet than presence. But also, right, they're obviously not the only ones, but they also pick up the look into my eyes, I'm ordering you what to do mesmerism aspect of that. And they they get one of the other, you know, signature vampiric toughness, physical powers. And so, like I said, with Osama, I, I think it's a really important concept. I think it can be a really broad concept because you don't, if the concepting is like Lords of the Night, but of course there's also middle management of the night, right? <laughs> 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 yes. Oh man, I'm so glad you made that. Because <laughs> you're right, normally, if you are Ventru in a modern game, like in a, in a typical sort of chronicle, is not in fact the one in charge, right? But there's still plenty of space for you to be within the hierarchy and, you know, try to be the lord of your own little realm of things. I got this position and I'm going to keep doing it until someone tells me not to. (laughs) (laughs) The feeding restriction can be a little awkward depending on what you like you know like it's like what's what's the line between something that's so open that it doesn't matter and something that's so narrow that it requires 
lots of effort to get into because they again it's the sort of thing that's easier to do with the NP an NPC than a, a PC but you can really box yourself in so that it's hard not to starve or I have to say I would I don't think I'd want to no, I don't think. I, I wouldn't want this at a table. I wouldn't want to play this at a table. I would not want another player to pay this at a table. But is it Jan Peterzoon? Like his feeding restriction was like survivors of sexual assault or something. So right. he would basically go create victims so that he could feed off of them. Which is really awful. I mean, and I know that they're all vampires and that they're all awful. That's kind of the point. But man, the Ventru, if you want to go that way with them, you can really lean into that. Like I said, that that's that's too much for me. I'm I'm not going in that one. I mean you could always just go for something easier like nerds named Chris. <laughs> I don't know I don't know how easy that is, but it but no no yeah, I mean you 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 could be as specific or as generic as you want. You just it gives you a lot of room to decide how much you want to hamstring yourself. I mean, yeah. and the storyteller probably needs to sit there and make sure that you're hamstringing yourself enough. Yeah. How much rope do you need to hang yourself this time? It is a weakness, but it's also... I mean, I don't think the storyteller should really try to seriously stick it to them, because there's... I mean, the, the clan weaknesses are up and down, and like there are mm-hmm. clan weaknesses that are not really that big a deal... You can make an entire Ventru character around what their feeding restriction is, but you also have a lot of times when you have a Ventru character where you establish the feeding restriction and like every once in a while it matters, but mostly it doesn't in the same way that like every vampire has to feed all the time, but you can't actually bog down your game by trying to role play out every single one. You just have to be like, okay, make a hunting roll. Like Yeah, go. you could <laughs> Yeah, the, the way around that is just make sure that uh, your player characters have a really successful nightclub so when they do need to hunt it's really easy so you don't have to spend so much time doing it. <laughs> My feeding restriction is someone who's dancing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean you you've got to have the Ventru. It's just such an important it's an important concept. It's a broad concept. There's just a lot of room to run with it. And so, hey, here's our, our Ventru sitting at the our, our second favorite clan overall. It was actually neither of our second favorite clan, but taken together, it's our second favorite clan. But our first favorite clan, and, and unanimous, which I guess amongst the, the whopping two of us on this episode, is the Toreador. So, Mark Reinhagen is on record saying that he had never read Anne Rice before he wrote Vampire the Masquerade, but I had read Anne Rice before I uh, I read Vampire the Masquerade, and I love Anne Rice vampires, and I love Toreador, and... All hell, Victoria Ash? Well, I, I loved the Toreador before Victoria Ash <laughs> did her awesome routine in, uh, in the Camarilla book, but I... It's just the passionate aspect of it the Toreador are pretty integral like I mean I it may be that objectively the Lord of the Night concept is in fact more important and that like like the single most essential clan is the Ventru or the Lissambra or a squish of them or however you'd want to do it like you have to have one of those but the Toreador I mean it's just the passion and grace 
and passion in a different way than the Bruja, right? The Bruja are also a clan of passion, right? There's like emotion and right horror, the horror and the fear, that's an emotion, but it's not the only emotion. If you're playing up a, you're doing a storytelling game, like emotion is a big part of that. And that is just what the Toreador are all about. And I even like the artistic side of it. It's hard not to just echo liking them because they're passionate, graceful, all those um, other things. But honestly, I think it it's an element that you need. And I think it was just really funny with like our home table cop game where Toreador is pretty much the universal most favorite clan amongst our group and that no one actually brought one to the table. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, yeah. yeah, there's at least three characters that started off um, in another... Um, conception of them as a Toreador and the game's gone on fine without having a PC playing one but it's it's just like a weird thing just not having one it's when I think of um playing a vampire there's always the Ventru there's always the Toreador there's always the Tremere and sometimes there's like splashes of other clans but playing a Camarilla game without one it just it feels off but somehow it's working well, you know, there's four characters and seven clans to cover, so something has to give at some point. <laughs> You're right, like I said, my opinions are, are subject to change week on week. I think if you rewind 20 years, if you fast forward 20 years, I mean, I guess they could do something crazy with the setting, but I don't think my number one favorite clan would ever be anything but Toreador. Yeah, I think it's really interesting with how they changed the Bane for V5, where you just kind of like lose dice for being in what your character considers less than beautiful circumstances or environments, instead of like the whole like, I'm just going to gaze off at the beautiful sunrise thing. I like the Bane less now. Yeah. I thought that the old Bane was really thematic for them, and it it didn't seem to be a bane that was problematic, like that where mm-hmm. it was a, a non-bane, it never really mattered, or it was something that was crippling. And part part of why I don't like the new bane a ton is that I don't really know when it's supposed to apply, because you could you could read that and be like, what? So my character just always gets a penalty. Like yeah. I, I walk out onto the streets of a city, bam, and now I have a penalty. <sighs> Man, yeah, I like, like, like you just said the um, the whole losing yourself in your art. That's something that people who engage in music or drawing, painting, they do that. I can see that them just having that really cool scene where they're just kind of like playing your musical instrument or painting um, into the wee hours of the morning and. Just like a little line of sun creeping in is the only thing that reminds them that they have to stop doing what they're doing, go to bed for the day. I feel like you could have some really powerful scenes with them that, whereas this new Bane, it's more, well, like you said, I'm always at a penalty or because it's just not fitting my aesthetic. It's the sort of thing where when I, especially especially given how the, the Banes tend like really shake out, in v5 where overall they're less obtrusive i mean a lot of a lot of times the sort of full-on effect of the bane gets pushed into the clan compulsion 
And so when I read the Toreador Bane, I read it like, yeah, my initial thought is like, this would just apply all the time, but that cannot possibly be the intent. It would be crippling, it would be inconsistent, it would be... I, so it, it just requires you as the player and the storyteller to like constantly be having this thing. And I, I think you really, but I think you really end up with more of a, you take the penalty when it's really bad. I mean, it can't just be suboptimal. So yeah, I guess weirdly enough, I guess we're going to close this off where one place where V5 did not seem to help. <laughs> what could they have done? They could have renamed them the Deva. I mean, that would be, well, <laughs> uh, well honestly, like it, it would be weird, but Come on, if you were if you were starting from scratch, as they were, would you not also name them the Deva instead of the Toreador? I mean, the name kind of makes no sense. I mean, I don't know what Toreador translates into with any language, but I like it. <laughs> I know exactly what I'm getting into, but that's only from like having that vampire context. Yeah, it's a bullfighter. I mean, yeah. it's right. It's a. Uh, it must be out there somewhere, like where that came from or why. But but literally, I I'm not aware of any. Maybe there is one, but I'm not aware of any meaning of the term Toreador outside of vampire, other than a bullfighter, a kind of bullfighter. I mean, it's <laughs> all right. So there's our thoroughly objective, permanent, absolute. And you must agree with us or you're wrong analysis of slash discussion of the, the vampire clans, right? That's what we were doing? Yes, and we didn't have caitiff. <laughs> well, see, that's because we're I'm very Camarilla-centric, so I was like, Panders? That's not a clan. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a giant Sabat and independent clans fan and think the Camarilla is done, you can send hate mail to j at strangeassembly.com. <laughs> And then he'll, <laughs> and then he'll forward it to me because he won't know what to do with it. Uh, no, you, it's you can send it to Chris at strangeassembly.com. That's in this context, it's probably less productive than like posting a comment on a on like the show page or something. But feel feel free to to email me because I, I I openly openly admit that Camarilla is even before V five where it's really true. Camarilla is the default vampire setting to me right that that's the core of the game it's not that there isn't anything to do with sabat and independence but the kind of camarilla concept of some sort of loosely organized hiding behind the humans multi-clan mishmash is really the central the central core part of a vampire and apparently someone agrees because that's really what v5 does that's why i'm running it that way So that's our thought on the clans. We kind of talked about like, oh, could there be a follow-on about bloodlines? And I, I got to say, like, if, if there's somebody out there, if there's people out there who really want to hear that, we can. But I feel like the bloodlines discussion is going to be like way too much negative Nancy, even more so than the uh, or negative Nelly. I am misusing the phrase. Even more so than like kind of the opening of this was. We're like, let's let's talk about the problems with uh, ethnically based uh, <laughs> vampire clans. But if you're super interested in that, let me know. It is Chris at strangeassembly.com. Whether or not you loved or hated our our opinions, feel free to to shoot me an email. 
You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there in the Apple Podcasts app, iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, Spotify, and I swear I'm working on getting that uh, Alexa skill because I know there's just legions of you dying to be able to tell Amazon to play Strange Assembly. As I mentioned just a moment ago, you can reach me at chris at strangeassembly.com. I always like to hear your comments, criticism, feedback, whatever you got. Just drop me a line. You can also find us on social media. We are facebook.com slash strangeassembly, at strangeassembly on Twitter, and strangeassembly on Instagram. And finally, of course, if you're a lovely, lovely, wonderful human being, then you can find us at patreon.com slash strangeassembly and support the show and the website that way. You will have our eternal, undying, bloodthirsty, and vampiric gratitude. But until then, for Craig Kellner, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. <laughs>